The Business of Caring is a groundbreaking new series within the Tell Me More podcast that's dedicated to exploring the synergies between compassionate patient care and business excellence. With her expertise as a highly celebrated internal medicine physician and founder of Christine Meyer, MD and Associates, Dr. Meyer has built a thriving practice with over 20 providers, 20,000 patients, and growing. Her success is a direct result of putting incredible patient care first, and each episode of The Business of Caring explores the profound impact of prioritizing patient well-being on overall practice success. For those that love our traditional Tell Me More podcast format, don't worry, it's not going anywhere. After all, amazing patient care starts with learning directly from patients by speaking with them and hearing their stories, and will continue to deliver Tell Me More podcasts on a regular basis through this channel. It's all part of our unwavering effort to help healthcare professionals build trust with patients and improve health outcomes simply by having better conversations. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Tell Me More. We are doing our segment called The Business of Caring, where I'm trying to chat with doctors and other healthcare professionals about the business side of providing excellent medical care. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Patrick Green. He's joining me from Utah. Dr. Green, welcome to the show. Good morning, Christine. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. So uh, offline, we chatted a little bit, Pat, about you and I sort of have similar paths. You are, you know, a good bit younger than I am. But um, <laughs> so you started a practice. What was it? Uh, 13 years ago. Is that what you told me? Yes. Great. So tell me about that. You went to med school. You did a family practice residency. How did you decide, I need to start my own practice? Uh, when I finished residency, I stayed on as faculty and working in the residency clinic and with other providers in the hospital quickly realized um, most medical practices had forgotten that it was a service industry and that our patients, our clients, our customers, and that yes. in any other industry, um, they would very quickly move on if we treated them the way that we treat them in a lot of practices. Wow. So I started my own practice trying to change that 13 mm -hmm. years ago. Amazing. I already love your philosophy. We are like so aligned. I uh, I just had this experience last week. I was in a hotel and uh, I was in one of the, you know, like a lounge. I was just sitting there working and I was sneezing and like had a Kleenex. I was blowing my nose and the waiter came over and just set down a tray of like green tea and lemon slices and ginger. And he was like, Hey, you seem like you're a little uh, under the weather. I thought some tea would help. And I was like, what? I did not ask for that. You know, if, if I read this waiter's job description, like nowhere does it say bring random people tea because <laughs> it's the nice thing to do. And I, I totally was thinking that I'm like, man, we could learn so much from the hospitality industry and medicine, like just taking that little extra step could make such a huge difference. So Absolutely. you recognize that, you know, that level of customer service and attention to the patient didn't really exist in, say, hospital-owned practices or large corporate practices. And you were like, I want to do this my way, so I'm going to start a practice. Yeah. 
And much. how did it go for you? Uh, I've been really lucky. From day one, it's gone amazing. And we've we've always had um, exactly what we need. So it's almost like if I think about it and really we need it, it shows up at my doorstep. So it's been <laughs> it's been an amazing experience. Oh my gosh. Awesome. So you you are not in the 61% of burnt out doctors practicing primary care? No. <laughs> so, sometimes I feel like it, but most of the time, no, I really enjoy my job. Uh, I have amazing employees and coworkers and I have wonderful patients and we're always growing and changing, which... Mm. Not everybody likes change. I thrive with things that are new and different. And so I enjoy the change, but um, it's been a challenge and it continues to be a challenge. It's, you know, the profit margin in primary care is not wonderful. Right. So it's hard to stay in business sometimes, um, but we've managed to do it and we've done it really well. And it, it's been, it's been great. So good to hear. And I wish that you and I could share our stories across because I feel exactly the same way. I think that there are days um, when I feel completely burnt out. And then, but overall, you know, looking at the trajectory of my practice and my career, how lucky am I? You know, I have a I have a daughter who's in medical school who has no interest in practicing primary care whatsoever. But, you know, I tell her all the time, like, how many jobs out there where you can walk into a room and be with another human being, you know, 18 to 20 times a day and have a direct impact on that person's life. And by the way, you can have a negative impact on that person's life, True. right? But we are in the position to try to make it a positive impact. So let's dig into that a little bit, Pat, because I, my philosophy is you can't succeed in a private practice if you are a bad doctor and you can be a good doctor and still not succeed in private practice, right? Sure. So tell me what your, what do you think it is? What's the secret sauce for you? Um, I think, and I'll, I say this, we've tried everything over the last 13 years. Um, I mean, we used to, in the beginning, every summer we had, a fair for our patients and we have food and clowns and fair games. And um, I, we've tried absolutely everything. And I think the biggest things are the outcome of the visit is probably the most important thing. And so I try to make sure that my patients leave every visit feeling understood and heard and that they were able to convey everything that they needed to in a way that I incorporated in whatever our plan is. And then I try to make sure they have a tangible um, description of our plan moving forward. Anywhere else that you went and did, you know, met with anybody, even if it was a life coach or something else, um, you're, you're always going to leave with something very clear um, and tangible. And a lot of times mm -hmm. in medicine, I think patients leave with a vague idea of what's going to happen and why. And mm -hmm. so I try to make sure that they have a very good outline um, from that visit, what we did and what we're going to do and when. Mm -hmm. 
that's made a, a big difference. And then um, the rest has kind of been a mix of the patient-centered home uh, and some ideas that were kind of floating around in medicine uh, about the time of Ob Obamacare, where if I can find something where I win, the patient wins, and the payer wins, it's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then common things that patients want are same-day visits, appointments after hours, and appointments on weekends. <laughs> and then the ability to talk to me. And so I give all my patients my cell phone number. What? Wow. <laughs> I, I encourage them to use an app we have for texting rather than calling me, but they can call mm. me. And it's actually amazing how rarely they call me. They do. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah They're so respectful of it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, most of them are amazed that I give it to them and... Because we're open in the evening and we're open on Saturday, they you know they can call the clinic almost all the waking hours, and so right. very rarely do they do they bother me. But at least they know if they need to, they can, mm -hmm. and that makes a huge difference. Usually, it's something like, "Hey, I need a refill, but your staff is roadblocking me, and I can't get in to see you for two weeks." Right? And my staff is—they're just doing. You know, they're following the standing orders that I've given them. That's right. But they don't realize that maybe this exception makes sense. And so mm -hmm. they'll shoot me a text and I'll look at it. And sometimes I'll say yes, sometimes I'll say no. But hardly ever does it cost me any time. Mm -hmm. And those things have made the biggest difference for patient experience. And then we do other things like, you know, we have some correct machines where patients can make coffee or hot chocolate <laughs> in the waiting room. We, we do our very best to stay on time, but if the front office staff notice that one of the providers is running behind, they'll come out and offer them a tray of kind of special snacks or treats uh, or maybe give them a gift certificate to a smoothie store next to my clinic. Uh, little things like that where people feel noticed, heard, and appreciated. Wow. You... So I have to say to everybody listening, Dr. Green and I did not plan this conversation. Look, we literally <laughs> just met three seconds ago. And here is where I'm just shaking my head because everything you said. So, you know, in my practice, we are now open seven days a week. We have a doc of the day. So if you call in the morning, you're getting in that day if you need to be seen that day. We have a Keurig machine in each building. We, if someone has been waiting a long time, we have like a stack of, we have Wawa out here. I don't think you guys have Wawa in Utah, but it's like a little convenience store. Everybody gets a gift card uh, yeah. to go get a snack or whatever. And, you know, it seems like those things are not important to medicine, but they are like, they're like that tray of tea when you're sitting in a lounge sniffling. They're the thing that's unexpected and small. That makes a huge difference. So, so those things, I mean, it's almost easy as the practice owner, right? You're like, we are going to have cure eggs in this office and we're going to keep them stocked. Like that's a pretty simple thing to do, right? But how do you sell or transmit your philosophy to everybody that works for you? Because you can't carry, you know, I, I heard your practice has 6,000 active patients, right? Or something yeah. like that. You can't possibly be, you know, the one man show where all that's on your shoulders. So how do you translate that to everybody that works for you? 
Uh, I think it starts with hiring. We try to make sure that we hire the right person for the right position. And um, I should say very early on, I realized um, I'm wonderful at coming up with ideas. I think I'm good at my job, but I, I'm not the best at running the details of a practice. And so I hired mm. an awesome practice manager who um, became my partner. He's my little brother and we work really well together. Wow. Wait, he's you like your your biologic little little brother? Yeah. He, oh my god, I love he it. He owned and operated a real estate brokerage and then sold that and moved back to Utah. And I convinced him to come join me, which was probably the best thing I ever did. Wow. Uh, and he so he puts a lot of effort into hiring. We use mm -hmm. some kind of personality trait tests and we really make sure that our employees know what their job description is and that it's something that they will enjoy doing and that they're excited to do. Uh, and if we get the right person in the right position, that makes a huge difference. And then we do a lot of um, training, really. Mm -hmm. um, we have, you know, on the flip side of the patient-facing efforts, we, we put a lot of efforts into encouraging good employee behavior and reward them for uh, anything that we notice they're doing that is fits with our philosophy and culture. Mm -hmm. We put a lot of energy into that. And uh, our employee family relationship and culture is probably more important to me than the patient facing culture uh, because I'm with them every day. Right. And, you know, we help each other out. We've, you know, we put in yards for our employees. We take them on vacations when we can. Um, we do as much for them as we possibly can. Wow. So true. So, you know, obviously, if you treat your team well, they'll treat your patients well. And that is just, that's been born over time and again. So for me, I made so many mistakes in hiring over the years, so many. And I feel like just now, as I'm like in year, almost year 20, I'm finally figuring it out. So have you, have you been through that? Have you made some mistakes and you're like, okay, yeah, we're never doing that again. Can you tell me a little about that? Yeah. Um, yes and no. It seemed like early on, um, you know, my first employee's, uh, stayed with me forever. A lot of them are still with me. And those are the probably the best employees that I ever hired. Right. And then we went through a few that were not wonderful fits. And that's about the time where I, I realized I need someone else to do this. This is right. not my <laughs> yeah. One, I'm very compassionate. And so I'm just as likely to hire somebody because they need a job and they won me over with their story as uh, because they're qualified. And my my partner brother is a little more discerning, and so he's yeah. he, it's a good thing he took that over. I think I need to hire your little brother. So yeah. same thing. So I have you know I have a core group uh, of people that have been with me since I opened the practice. You know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years, right? And then I have you know people that have come and gone like a revolving door. And I remember very clearly one of my worst hiring decisions was a nurse uh, who was an RN that I was hiring as a medical assistant. 
And she was very open with me. You know, the minute she sat down and said, listen, I have had a drug problem. I went to rehab. I lost my license, but I am, you know, rehabilitated now. And I just need a fresh start. And I was like, everybody deserves a second chance, right? Like, we can't straddle somebody with their mistake for the rest of their life. Like, that's where I was coming at it from. Yeah. And I had my my core people, right, interview this nurse, too. And I was like, guys, I really want to hire her. I want to give her a chance. Tell me what you think. Five out of five were like, do not hire her. <laughs> just the vibe is off. Do not hire her. It, this is trouble. And I was like, no, I am a compassionate. I'm a good person. I'm going to turn her life around. I hired her. So within one year, she was stealing drugs. Uh, I did not know this until this person that worked for me. But apparently, if you take any sort of you know narcotic and you uh, administer intramuscular Benadryl, diphenhydramine, with it, it enhances the high. Did you know this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I only knew this because all of a sudden my office was ordering like 10 times the amount of intravenous and IM diphenhydramine that we ever had. I'm like, what are we doing with this stuff? Anyway, so I, I at that point just said to myself, there is no point in asking my people what they think if I'm just going to ignore their advice. So I, I think that's maybe part of being a successful physician owner too, is knowing your strengths and weaknesses and knowing when to rely on the people around you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been key. Um, I, I think I have a very narrow skill set, and it takes an unbelievable amount of effort to, keep a practice operating well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've been lucky enough to find key people to plug into those positions and make up for my inadequacies. And that that's made the biggest difference. Yeah. If it was up to me, um, it probably, we probably would have shuttered our doors a long time ago. <laughs> I hear you. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about just some very specific things in the business of medicine, uh, Pat. So, I don't know about where you are geographically, but for us here in the Northeast, it's all about, I hate this term, but value-based care. It's all yeah. about providing the highest quality care, reducing healthcare spending waste, I will say. I, I can't stand when people say reduce spending because some spending is necessary, right? So it's reducing unnecessary spending. Um, and where in my practice, at least this is so, so important is in our elderly population, you know, patients that are over the age of 65, because they tend to drive most of the cost um, and need the most care. So what has been, what have been some of your approaches to caring for those elderly patients? And is value-based care a thing where you are? Yeah, value-based care is probably a thing for everybody these days. I don't know how you could escape that. Um, as well as, you know, shared savings programs, ACOs, or individual contracts with payers are becoming a bigger thing, especially probably for independent practices, because the margin on fee-based care is, is just not enough. Right, And so I think we all probably have to augment with shared savings contracts or programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
and we, when I started my practice, I was living in Salt Lake City, working in Salt Lake City, and I chose to start my practice about an hour outside of town in a semi-rural area, partly because I did not enjoy feeling obligated to refer patients to the specialists down the hall in the hospital building that I was at before. Um, mm -hmm. And so where I'm at now, we don't, you know, we don't have access to a lot of specialists unless patients are going to travel an hour. And so we do as much as we possibly can for our patients um, in clinic. And I think that really helps to cap spending. Mm -hmm. We have one hospital in our community that we have a close relationship with. And so we know if our patients are in the ER, we know if our patients are in the hospital. Uh, same with a skilled nursing facility, we have one. Mm -hmm. And so just, just by kind of constraining those things, um, which wasn't my goal going in, but now um, I realize it's wonderful at trying to mitigate patient spending because we have a better idea of where our patients are and what they're doing and trying to help them make the best choices for their goals and circumstance. Right. So exactly. Because patients generally, they don't want to go to the ER. They don't want to go to another doctor. They're basically just going to do what they have to do to get the care they need. So if you're providing it, they're happy to not go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, they're just trying to feel better or. Right. right meet some other goal. And so um, that doesn't always happen in the, in the best way. And if you're not aware of it, then you really are powerless to intervene. Yeah. So a perfect example. I was on call last night and I got a call from the niece of a patient of ours um, from the ER. They were sitting in the ER waiting room and her aunt uh, was just diagnosed with shingles, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and was just in severe pain. Um, and wasn't, for our listeners who may not know, shingles is a, a viral infection, but one of its key things is just severe pain is severe nerve pain uh, is what it causes. So this lady's in severe pain and hadn't taken her meds properly and had no, didn't know what to do. So she went to the ER and was in the waiting room and called me because there were 25 people ahead of her, but she didn't know what to do. She was desperate. So exactly. So, you know, I talked her through, we talked about the meds that she had not been taking properly. I sent in some prescriptions and was able to, you know, extract her from the emergency room. But, you know, looking back, I think we could have managed her initial case of shingles better. We should have explained, you know, how severe the pain is. We should have made sure she had the proper pain meds. You know, there were lots of things that could have been done to prevent that, you know, ER visit in the first place. Um, so the idea of, you know, giving them what they need as much as you can, um, access, especially a great patient experience. I mean, those all make perfect sense, Pat. So as if all that wasn't enough, you also now work for a company called HCR Paths. Is that right? Yeah. And Tell I mean, me to be that. fair, I don't do a ton of work for them. Um, I, one of my billing staff, um, that was another place we lucked out. I think I, I have the best billing encoder 
uh, ever born. She's wonderful. <laughs> uh, somehow she met uh, Sarah, the CEO of HCR Path, and she was helping her develop a product to automate um, the information gathering side of the annual wellness visit. Mm. And Sarah was in town to meet with her and I had a chance to talk with her for a little while and we hit it off and um, she kind of suckered me into helping them a little bit more um, as from a medicine or a provider standpoint. And so I've been working with them for the last six to eight months. Uh, and that's been really fun because the wellness visit has been a thorn in our side for quite a while. And it's something that we're always trying to improve our process uh, to make sense from a provider standpoint or a business standpoint, but also to improve the patient's experience. Um, and the product that Sarah's made uh, helps a lot with that. Um, the last iteration has been um, really cool. I wish I could pull up a screenshot of it, but um, uh, it's, she's taken, you know, I, there's so many different data points you're trying to look at even before you walk into the room with a patient for any annual visit, um, but especially the wellness visit where there's these kind of prescribed questions that you have to ask if you want to meet CMS's guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially the patients answer all of those before they come to clinic. And then mm -hmm. I get a summary screen that gives me a great green, yellow or red light based on their answers of areas that I need to focus on. Mm -hmm. And so if I look at, um, you know, depression and mental health and it's green, I know they answered the questions and there's, there's low risk based on the screening tests and I don't need to spend a ton of time there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's been really neat. Um, and fit right in with our philosophy on the wellness visit, where I think it can be a valuable tool that the patient benefits from the provider benefits from, and hopefully um, reduces costs and unnecessary expenses so that the payer benefits as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you mentioned the annual wellness visit. So for people who might not be familiar, I guess it was around the time of the um, Affordable Care Act that CMS started covering this preventative visit. And it was it was kind of like, you know, an earth shattering moment because until then, like they did not really weren't known for covering preventative visits, like a, you know, annual physical, yeah. uh, but this, this annual wellness visit, it, 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 it's hard for patients to grasp because they want to have a physical, you know, they want to put that gown on. They want to see you like checking everything. But from CMS's standards, the annual wellness visit is not that. It's more That's like an inventory, right? Yeah. yeah. I have to answer a million questions. Um, they seem like for my young uh, Medicare patients, you know, they're like, I, really, this is ridiculous. I have to answer this question. Um, so it's frustrating for patients. And then from, you know, from our side, it's also quite time consuming, like you said, to meet all of those documentation requirements. So um, to have a tool that helps you navigate the data collection, 
you know, make the visit more efficient for you as a provider uh, is amazing. How do you provide value to the patient in the annual wellness visit? How do you sell that visit to patients to encourage uh, them to come in? For that? Yeah, again, I think it really revolves around what they leave the visit with. And Medicare requires that they leave with, uh, you know, a treatment plan and forecast at the end of the visit anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're doing the wellness visit right, you're giving them something that's somewhat personalized when they leave. The shape that takes is up to you. And so I've put a lot of effort into giving them um, an easy to read document that lets them know what their risks are, mm-hmm. what preventative care has been done and when it needs to be done uh, repeated and what care is due. And then we break it down a little bit more into things they can do to reduce their risks. And I try to spend most of my time looking at risks in different categories with them. Uh, And again, um, I had made a tool that was a little bit clumsy, but HCR Path has one that's a lot better where they have a patient facing document that, really simply conveys to them uh, using image or pictures and colors what their risk is in different mm-hmm. areas of their health. Uh, and that's that's phenomenal because you can look and say, you know, your cardiovascular risk is really high and this is what we need to do about it and when mm-hmm. we need to do it. And I think if they can leave with a one page document that shows them their risks what's coming up on the horizon and then what they can do to reduce their risks, um, the visit is worth it to them because they get this bird's eye view of what's happening, where they're going and what they need to do to improve. Um, And it's worth its weight in gold, especially for family members that are joining visits Mm -hmm. or that are helping to take care of parents who require assistance. Um, That makes a huge difference. Yeah. So, so, and for us, you know, again, trying to curb unnecessary healthcare spending, you know, it's all about the prevention. It's all identifying those risks and taking action on them. So, you know, the at risk for a fall doesn't turn into a hip fracture, you know, a couple months later. Um, And I think you're so right. So I think for my practice, at least we spend so much time just making sure they answer the questions Uh, And we review those answers, but we don't do a lot to, you know, give them the result. Okay, here's what we have learned from all these questions you answered. I think that's a huge piece. Um, So and, and it sounds to me like this is a philosophy you would probably carry through to all of your patients and all of your preventative visits. Right. You know, you're if you're here for a physical at the end of the physical, we're going over everything right your 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 medical conditions your meds that's really what it's all about right yeah i mean i i decided very early on that even though the wellness visit isn't meant to be a problem visit patients expect that right nobody's going to show up to the doctor answer these questions and not talk about their diabetes it's absolutely it's never going to happen right (laughs) Uh, and so not not only that, but I really try 
at every visit to touch on every any any chronic issue a patient has. I don't really doesn't matter why they came in. We're still going to talk about those things. Yes. And so I treat the. I've always done that with a wellness visit. I've just known. Okay, you know, even though I I don't get reimbursed and I'm not expected to do a physical exam, I'm going to do some type of physical exam. Yes. And even though I'm not, you know supposed to touch on their their medical issues i'm gonna do that and i know i'm gonna answer some questions about other stuff that's come up since i saw them last mm-hmm. uh, it's that's gonna happen uh, and that's okay because that's what the patient needs and honestly preventive care doesn't make any sense if you take it out of context of the bigger picture and so part of that document is also it's always it has a list of their chronic issues, usually ranked in order of severity, and just a brief description of what we're doing and what we're going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all part of it. And on the flip side of that, um, anytime I see a patient, I also try to address preventive care. So hopefully, when I see them for that wellness visit, it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, in a perfect world, we've already we're up to date on their screening tests. And so I don't give them a pile of to-dos. We've done the ones that are due and we're planning to do the ones that are coming up. And that makes the wellness visit a bit easier as well. Mm. That's such a great philosophy. And I, it's obviously working for you, Pat. Um, so I want to just wrap up with a couple of things, a couple of really important take-home points for me. And then I want to have you just leave us with some words of wisdom. So number one, you don't have to be a burned out doctor practicing primary care. You can love you your can job. Do it. it can be done. You can do it. <laughs> you can have, you know, job satisfaction and provide excellent patient care. And it may involve hiring a sibling or someone to do yeah. the part that you're not good at. Yeah, um, you, you definitely need a project manager to, um, tell you which of your ideas are viable and then make them happen. (laughs) And I think, you know, to your credit, I think you also have to check the physician ego and be able to accept that feedback and take action on it. Right. So, you know, if five of your closest advisors tell you not to hire someone, like it's on you to take that advice or not, or not. Um, And then It also sounds to me like a big, big part, and I will validate that in my own practice too, a big, big part of success in medicine and therefore lack of burnout as a physician is providing an excellent patient experience. And it it goes so far outside of the walls of that examining room. So, you know, you're obviously an amazing doctor, uh, but what you do in that 15, 20, 30 minutes in the room is just a tiny part of the patient's overall experience, right? So, Focusing on all of the things, you know, your team, your environment, your the plan that they get, that's huge. Um, how, what would you leave our guests with? Two, two questions. One is if, if a patient is listening and wants to know, you know, how do I find a doctor like Dr. Green? <laughs> how do I find a doctor that's going to give me all these amazing things? Because you're a real person, right? You've actually done it. Um, and I know, you know, people aren't going to want to come to Utah, but how do patients seek out doctors like you? Uh, you know, I these days, I think it's 
it's easier than ever has been in the past because you can yeah. look at patients' reviews online. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've made it a point to not follow my reviews on Google or other sites. Um, I just do the best that I can and hope whatever people say reflects that. Um, mm-hmm. But when it, you know, whenever it comes to my attention, um, we've always done really well with patient reviews. And I know the management staff encourages patients to leave reviews. Mm-hmm. So I think patients, you know, if you're looking for a restaurant, yeah. um, you probably have two resources that you actually use. One is you get advice from people you know and that have similar um, interests as you. And two, you look online. You just, you know, you ask Google what the best restaurant is near you. And then if they have an open table and you've heard good things about it, you go. You go, Uh, you try it out. Yeah, realistically, I think that's how people probably choose medical practices these days, which to me makes total sense. Absolutely. Um, And two, um, at least from my experience, there's a difference between myself and our practices, philosophy and culture. Some patients love our practice and culture. They do not like me. Uh, I, I, I doubt that. What? Well, I put a lot of effort into pre-visit planning and research. Mm. Um, but I'm pretty direct and I'm not very emotional. And some pe- patients need someone to hold their hand and cry with them for 30 minutes. That is not me. I, I'm not good at that. And so if they need that, I do have providers that do that. Yeah. And so we try to help them, you know, realize, hey, you can love our practice. It's okay if you want to see somebody else in the practice. You can still get all the benefits of our culture and philosophy, um, but you can also have somebody who will give you what you need. Ah, amazing. Uh, And so, and and I, you know, when I have talked to patients about that, depending on what they need or don't need, some of them I have to tell them, like, you know, I, I just realistically, you're probably not going to get that for me. But let me introduce mm-hmm. you to Alex. She's wonderful. <laughs> and she works here, too. Uh, or, I'll, you know, if I know a patient uh, provider in the community, then I'll help them transfer there. There's, you know, one, I guess, strange thing about our industry, and this is probably more true where I am than other places, but um, is true everywhere. It's not really a competition. There are more patients than there are providers. Right. And so we're not competing for patients. There are Mm. plenty of patients. We just need to help patients find the provider that best suits them and can give them what they need Uh, because that's good for the patient. But then that's also good for me. Right. I don't have patients who are looking to get something from me that I'm not going to or can't give them. And so that that sorting makes sense. But I think there's enough online now that probably that's the easiest way to find the provider that you're looking for. Yeah. And I love what you said that the culture is really important, but it's still about a personality. And if the personality doesn't click, it doesn't click. So, you know, I think there was a day where people tried to interview their providers. Like I remember when we had our first baby, some book telling us to interview pediatricians and I got to tell you, if someone said they wanted to come interview me to see if I was the right provider for them, I would just tell them I wasn't the right provider for them. I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
100%. Now, listen. I wish I did and I could do that, but I just, I wouldn't do that. No. And early on, too, when you first start a practice, right, don't you feel like you just have to take every single patient that walks in your door, like you're going to take care of everybody? And then those are the patients that two, three, four years down the line, you're like, oh, my God, I should have seen. It's like the the person you should have never hired in the first place. But that all comes with age and wisdom, right? It does. And Um, I think the more you do it, the more word of mouth plays a role. And so it's like restaurants, right? People start to tell their people about you and you tend to kind of build up a clientele of of people that appreciate you and exactly the right people, the right people. Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. So Dr. Green, I cannot thank you enough. One, you have taught me some things. I can't wait to shift the focus of my annual wellness visits a little bit and, and really work harder on the, what the patient leaves with piece. I think that's so, so important. Um, And two, you know, I think you and I should start a club called you don't have to be burned out in medicine <laughs> and really just, you know, get the word out that it's still the, I think the best job in the world and you could just find joy and happiness and satisfaction in taking good care of patients. I cannot thank you enough for that. Uh, I would love to have another conversation with you. Maybe we can dig into some, you know, some of the details of the business of medicine. Maybe we could have your brother on to talk about the things that yeah. he does. That would be a amazing. Thank you so much for everyone listening. This was a uh, business of caring episode with Dr. Patrick Green from Utah. Dr. Green is a family practice physician who, listen, is getting it right, firing on all cylinders. We all could take lessons from him. Um, If you're a physician in practice and not burned out or are burned out and are trying not to be, please reach out to me. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Email me, Christine at christinemeyermd.com. Thank you all for listening. Dr. Green, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful time. Thanks for listening to The Business of Caring with Dr. Christine Meyer. Have you learned a lot by running your own business as a doctor or healthcare provider? Perhaps you're a physician, entrepreneur in training, or someone who has aspirations to own their own business in patient care. We want to hear from you. Join us as a guest on our show. If you'd like more information on today's episode or how to contact Dr. Meyer, visit us online at christinemeyermd.com or send us an email at christine at christinemeyermd.com.